Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. I am John Manuel, live at the World Headquarters here in Durham. Here in Durham. He is Jim Callis, live at his World Headquarters up in uh, suburban Chicago. So, Jim Callis, welcome in uh, back to the podcast, Nook. And uh, a big day always at Baseball America. Our top 100 prospects going live today at BaseballAmerica.com. Jim, how many top 100 uh, meetings approximately have you been a part of now? Well, I think we started, what, 1990? Yeah. So this would be the 20th top 100 we've done. Correct. And I and there was I was not in one of the meetings, like the second, <laughs> the first meeting historically was a very long meeting where we involved the whole staff and took about eight hours and almost killed Alan Simpson. <laughs> so the second year, <laughs> the second year of the top 100, Alan and Tracy Ringlesby and Ken Liker pretty much put together in a much smaller meeting. So I missed that one, and then I was not involved in 98, 99, or 2000 when I was not at Baseball America. So I guess this would be my 16th of the 20 top 100s. That's not bad. I've only been involved really the last five or six years. Uh, I think half of my Baseball America tenure was spent uh, not being vo- involved in top 100 prospect uh, uh, rankings. I had to earn my way in. These you were doing all those Wes Farrell stories, and once you mastered Wes Farrell, we, 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 we promoted you to the top 100 discussion. That's right, that and Chuck Hazard and, uh, and my small college feature on the best small college programs. Florida Southern, uh, I forget what the Division Three one was. NAIA was clearly Lewis Clark State, and then Rancho Santiago, uh, which is now Santa Ana, was the junior college choice. What was my Division Three choice, do you recall? I don't. I was John's referring. I was looking at the '97 college preview last night, and the the thing that jumped out at me was uh, the fact that we we did rank what the the premier program was at each of the smaller levels of college baseball. But we had news in there that Lewis Clark State, the NAIA powerhouse, was going to Division One in 1999, and and for the life of me and for the life of John, we can't remember why they didn't go to Division One or, or what happened there. But uh, yeah, it was interesting. You can get lost in those back issues for a long time. So Yes, you can. but uh, And you can definitely get lost in the top 100 stuff because uh, we do have all the top 100s are updated on one page. I uh, believe J.J. Cooper's updated that today. Our historical top 100, uh, top 100 prospects of all time, um, going back to 1990. So like Jim said, this is our 20th edition of the top 100s. And Jim, I think uh, one, one, I'm not sure that most of them are this defined at the top. I don't think we had any question that our number one and number two players were going to be Matt Wieters and David Price. We didn't know what order that would be, uh, who would be one and who would be two uh, until our meeting, but um, we have an entire feature devoted to that, who's one and who's two, Price or Wieters. And then we also, uh, I guess I want to talk a little bit more about after one and two uh, before we really get into the Wieters-Price debate. Because after number two, uh, well, we had six people in on the meeting this year, six staffers, and and boy, that was really all over the place. Didn't you think? I mean, there were, there were a lot of different people who got third place votes. I don't think there's any consensus in our office or in the baseball industry as to who that next best prospect is after Price or Weeders. No, I don't. I think you're exactly right on that. I, I think Weeders. It, it, both the points you just made there are absolutely correct. You know, Price and Weeders are clearly defined at one and two, and then I think it's just a hodgepodge. I'm looking here, I'm trying to sort through our ballots here, but I know I picked Pedro Alvarez as the third best uh, third best prospect in baseball. You had Neftali Feliz. And then we also had votes for, let's see, Colby Rasmus got a third-place vote. Tommy Hansen got a third-place vote. Uh, I guess Neftali Feliz got two third-place votes, and Jason Hayward got a third-place vote. So it was really really all over the place, and I don't think there was any consensus on, on how we stacked up. You know, if you go on further down the list, you know, 3 through 10 
our orders were a lot different. You know, like I said, I voted Pedro Alvarez third, and I think he came in twelfth on the on the overall top one hundred. Yeah, I really do think one one telling thing about that of the guys who got third place votes, three of them were originally signed by the Braves, <laughs> Feliz, Hayward, and Hanson. And Hayward and Hanson are both still currently Braves. That'd be a fearsome farm system. That's a whole other podcast. But what a fearsome farm system the Braves would have if they had not made that mark to share a trade. It's just it kind of boggles the mind. But uh, I really do think that the top twenty, the, it's really kind of, it's surprising to me how all over the place it is because there is so little consensus. Um, but there's also quite a variety of players. That's one of the things that struck me, Jim, about the top uh, the top twenty. Uh, you know, you really kind of have a little bit of everything. Uh, in our top 20, and I, I think that you, you mentioned uh, you know, Pedro Alvarez. I think he's a great pay, place to maybe have a little bit of a debate. And like you said, you had him at three. I don't recall where I voted him. I know it was considerably lower than three. Uh, I really don't know what to think of Pedro Alvarez. I'll be completely honest with you. I don't have uh, untrammeled faith in his ability to hit and hit for power and play third base. And I, For me, to be the number three prospect, he'd have to do all three of those things. Uh, to me, I, I can't think of a guy who got drafted that high where the shine has come off him that quickly, for me at least, since a guy like a Matt Bush. I mean, it's obviously not as catastrophic as Matt Bush. I mean, that was a joke. But, I mean, Pedro Alvarez, has there been one good thing that's happened to him uh, as a player since he got drafted? I can't think of I, it. He really hasn't played I mean, right. since he got drafted. Uh, I mean, he isn't supposed to be in much better shape after not being in great shape, uh, you know, which I, I guess his handlers blamed on tendonitis in his knees. Uh, apparently, well, you know, he didn't have tendonitis in his fork, but uh, <laughs> he, he's in better shape now. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned about his shape. I mean, you know, I ranked in third, and I think I was, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, sounding the alarm might be strong, but I think I've had less faith in his ability to stay at third base. I just don't think that's a given. Right. Then most of the people on our staff, or at least for longer than anybody on our staff, uh, you know, after watching him play in the in the Minimade Classic a couple of years ago, but uh, but you know the reason I vote him third is I, I do think I I don't I have the untrammeled faith that he will hit and it will hit for power. Um, I think he'll probably stick at third base for a couple of years. You know, again, if LaRoche winds up you know holding on to that third base job in Pittsburgh, they may let Pedro run around in left field for a while too. I just I believe in his bat more than anybody else's, which is why I voted him third. But again. And that's the great thing about doing these prospect lists, and especially this year. I just think there's there's so much room for debate right. on you know on any of the guys. I mean, I know the the kind of flip side of that argument. I think you and I have a little bit differing opinion of, of somebody like Cameron Mabin, right. who came in number eight on our list and, and got voted all over the place too. I, I really love Cameron Mabin's athleticism. I just think he strikes out so much it worries me a little bit, and, and I'm not as confident that he's going to be as much of an impact hitter as maybe other people think. You know, actually, the first time I came through my top 30, uh, my top 100, uh, I actually had Mike Stanton at number three in my first iteration. <laughs> have, you, uh, have I ever told you that story? Uh, I think you did. Yeah, I mean, we were I, all I, scrambling to go our top 50s. Uh, we, 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 Will and John and I all reveal our top 50s uh, from 1 to 50 in order in the Prospect Handbook. And I, I actually, John, did my top 50 uh, on the plane. <laughs> Flying from Durham to D.C. to connect back to come home to Chicago, and then uh, and then emailed it in uh, while walking from one gate to another at Dulles Airport. So yeah, I've heard day. that's that's a good story, <laughs> good times. Uh, getting the getting the handbook out the door is uh, that's uh, that's a scramble. But I mean, like, and, and my you brought the strikeout. That's why that's why I bring that up with Mike Stanton. I mean, to me, when there's not a number three guy, I guess I tried to try to I tried to go more ceiling rather than. Uh, likelihood of reaching that ceiling because I think everyone after number two 
has some warts. Um, and that's why I ended up actually going to Fali Feliz because his arm is just so prodigious. And, uh, you know, every reporter we had, I don't know that he'll do it in 2009 because, you know, he's only thrown, what, 140 innings is his maximum innings in a season, uh, 130, somewhere in there. So I think Neftali Feliz is a, a year or two away from being ready to really be an, make an impact in a big league rotation over 200 innings in a season. Uh, but I do think that his arm is a special and unique arm. But I think there's some really – I think I think we we both agree that talent in the minors is a little bit down right now, but there's some guys with some real real upside in the top 100 in our top 20. A guy like a Stan or a guy like a Madison Bumgarner, those are two guys who jump out to me as guys who just were utterly dominant at low class A, and you can really just they have big time tools. I think you have to be a little bit cautious though when you're doing a top 100 because uh, those guys are in the South Atlantic League and they haven't gone past that level yet. And they're both going to get uh, really significantly tested in 2009 as they have their second first full season. And their second full season, and they're out of that uh, low-level league. Anybody else in that top 20 that really, uh, I mean, like we said, we were all kind of all over the place. Was there anybody else in that top 20 that really vexed you, that was a, a tough guy for you to rank besides a, a Maven, like you mentioned? No, I mean, you know, Stanton, I had, I had Maven and Stanton back-to-back, I think 19th and 20th on my list, or 20th and 21st, just because of the strikeouts and, I like Mike Stan a lot too, although I do think that park is a is a good park to put numbers up in. Yeah, but his numbers curious. on the his numbers on the road were just as good as they were at home though. Right, I'm just saying though. I mean it, it doesn't hurt when you're playing your home games in Greensboro. A lot of guys come through there and put up big numbers. No, sure. I mean I, I don't think there's anybody in the top twenty who I mean not that I don't think there's any definitive answer. I, I guess one guy who who was maybe a little tougher to figure and he came in right at twenty one was Rick Porcello who right. You know, was arguably the best pitcher in the entire 2007 draft, and he came out and had a fabulous year last year. But he really didn't strike anybody out. And then you get into the whole, you know, pitching to contact debate. And you know, I know they had him working on some secondary pitches and some different stuff, so he wasn't necessarily attacking hitters with his best pitches all the time. And I'll buy that. But I, I've never been this uh, big believer in in, in pitching to contact. Uh, you know, it, it's hard enough to to miss a bat. Uh, you know, I think it's even harder to hit, you know hit a guy's bat. And I'm being a little facetious there, but uh, you know, the, the lack of strikeouts for Purcello, even though he won the Florida State League ERA title, bothered me a little bit. And, and, and so I wasn't quite sure where to rank him. You know, very impressive year other than the lack of strikeouts. But again, you know, 72 whiffs and 125 innings, and he gave up 116 hits. Uh, it was kind of uh, – his numbers didn't quite match up with, with how good his stuff is. Yeah, another thing with him is that, uh, you know, in high school he had both a curveball and a slider. And a curveball is generally more of a strikeout pitch. It's more of a swing and miss pitch, whereas a slider, generally, unless you're throwing a Steve Carlton, you know, 80 slider on a 2080 scale, is more of a ground ball pitch. And uh, Porcello seems like he throws more sliders than curveballs, a lot more sliders than curveballs, uh, as his pro career. So if he's going to be a fastball slider guy, it's going to be hard for that strikeout rate to really significantly increase. And to me, that makes him. Uh, maybe less of an ace. He's, he certainly doesn't make him live up to Josh Beckett comparisons. As he got the Josh Beckett contract, he was getting Josh Beckett comparisons out of high school. Uh, if he's not Josh Beckett, that doesn't mean he's going to be a failure. It just means that he, that's why I temper my enthusiasm for him as well. Uh, right around that 20 mark, Jim, we also had quite a few first basemen, and that was really hard to separate those guys between Lars Anderson and uh, Justin Smoke and Logan Morrison and Eric Hosmer. Um, is there really anything that separates those four guys? I mean, for me, at the, I mean, you could even throw Lan, uh, Matt Laporta into that mix. He's at 27. I think he's going to be as much of a first baseman as anything uh, down the line. 
what what uh, what helped you separate those guys? Was it for me? It was just a simple fact of Anderson's done it at Double A. Um, I couldn't think of anything else to to separate those four guys. Uh, how'd you separate them? Yeah, it it just comes down. I think to personal preference because you're nitpicking. Yeah, I actually I think tackled this one in an SBA. I he came in fourth on our list. I actually had Eric Hosmer ahead of all those guys. I think he's going to be every bit the hitter those other guys are. And I think what separates him from me from the other guys, if we're all talking about comparable bats, is I actually think he's the best athlete before. And I think because of the backlog of corner infielders Royals have, I think he's actually going to wind up in the outfield. So that's maybe a little bit of a convoluted reasoning, but I think he's going to give you the most positional value. Then I had right behind him, I had Hosmer 12 on my personal list. I went Anderson 13, Morrison 14 again. I don't think there's much difference, but Anderson has, you know, proven himself a little bit in double A, so that was a separator. And, you know, I had Justin Smoke, the fourth of those guys, on my own list. But, you know, if, if Smoke kind of winds up being the best, I don't think I, – I think all those bats are very, very comparable. I mean, Smoke's a, you know, switch hitter, and, and maybe he's going to be the best defender of the four of them at first base. So, I mean, it really comes down to personal preference. You're just kind of, you know, looking for a reason to pick one over the other. I think one other aspect of our top 100 that's different, Jim, uh, maybe from others, is that ours is, we are talking about it, it's a staff view. It's not one person uh, putting these things together. It's, uh, and I think maybe, uh, not to get too Orwellian about it, maybe some people's votes count more than others. Um, uh, but you know, to me, uh, you know, we had, there are a lot of times where uh, our individual ballots are going to differ, and we just kind of have to reach a consensus as a staff. Um, one of the things that kind of helps guide us, and we ran into this in the meeting, is n- team rankings being reflected in the top 100. I think we get this question a lot in chats and in uh, you know, emails from uh, from uh, viewer, readers, listeners, what have you. Um, we're like, it, it sticks out to me in the 21 to 40 range with Austin Jackson at 36 and Jesus Montero at 38. I think it's probably fair to say that more people in the staff might think Montero should rank higher than Jackson, but we kind of deferred, in this case to me, <laughs> ranking Jackson over Montero in the Yankees' top 30, uh, top 10 prospects. I-, I do think that Montero has more a higher ceiling than Austin Jackson. I think he has a better chance to... Uh, he, he's more likely to make a significant impact with his bat than Austin Jackson. I think I ranked Austin Jackson ahead of Montero because he's f- getting close to being a polished guy, double-A, kind of a playmaker, in center field, and I think he's going to be a very steady big leaguer for a long time. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the appropriate comparison is for Austin Jackson. Uh, maybe he's Andy Van Slyke without the arm, which you know, kind of was what defined Andy Van Slyke. But he was a very steady big league hitter for a long time and a good defender in center field. And the arm made him a great defender. Um, I think Austin Jackson will be a, a really steady, solid, good player. And I'm just so. Um, not ambivalent, but I'm just, I don't know what to make of Jesus Montero just being that big of a kid at that young of an age and can he stay behind the plate? I, I don't think he can. And I, I just wonder, you know, you're going to have to make a pretty significant offensive impact to be a right-handed hitting, uh, right-handed throwing first baseman DH type. You really have to mash to be to stand out from the crowd there, which is why, for me, Jackson would rank ahead. But uh, I don't know if, there were, if, if, you, if that debate comes up for you. Do you remember it coming up a lot over the years that you've done this? Uh, and how how do you think uh, maybe we finesse that rule a little bit? Well, I, I think you know it does come up a lot, and I'm sure I'll get asked about it when we do the you know the top 100 chat today and the ESPN chat tomorrow. And I always explain to people one is that you know 
ratings aren't, I don't think, locked in stone. Where you know there isn't always necessarily. It's not definitive. Every spot one through ten on a team's top ten list. And when we do these lists, when, you, when we're doing the handbook, you know, we get asked a lot, okay, whose list is it? You know, some people actually think it's the team's list. The team's telling us where to rank guys. Right. And other people say, well, is it the writer's list? And what it is, it's really it's, – it's Baseball America's list is what it is more than anything else. Right. Uh, and I think Josh Boy, you know, when he worked with us before going on to work for Potters and Rangers, kind of, you know, when we were doing the early handbooks, hammered that point home that, look, you know, this is our list. You know, it doesn't matter who's writing it. It, it, it reflects on Baseball America. And – the way I've always kind of approached the list when we've been adding a prospect handbook is, is you know, you, John, you and I usually, you know, get together on who the number one prospect is. I, I think that's obviously a very important part, you know, who the best right. prospect is in any top 10 or top 30. And you and I will get together sometimes and say, hey, you know, so-and-so has this guy, you know, but I think it should be, this. you know, a lot of times I'll say, hey, John, I think it should be a different guy. Right. And you say, oh, I agree with you, or ah, I can kind of see his point of view. and But we'll generally spend some time really hammering out, okay, who is that number one prospect and talk to the writer and settle on that. But after the number one prospect, well, you know, again, we do work on these lists. It's not just the writer dictating to us, okay, this is who the list is. Right. You know, you and I will both sit there and, you know, there's some lists that we do rearrange a lot. You know, there's always a couple. And then there's other lists where, you know, I might not agree uh, or you might not agree with, with the order somebody has them in. But the way I put it is, I think, you know, if the guy does a good job and he can defend it. Right. And, and he can, you know, come up with a reasonable, you know, de- you know, explanation. Okay, why do you have this player ahead of that one? I'll defer to that guy a lot. But then again, you know, when it comes around the top 100 prospect time, I won't necessarily, you know, come come up with the same order that he had. You know, like for instance – you know, I think Aaron Fitt does an excellent job on his list. And, and right. you have a, a situation with the Rangers where the Rangers system is absolutely loaded. It's the best system in the game. And, and you know, you could debate. I mean, I think Feliz is clearly the number one prospect there. But, like, I think he had – I'm pretty sure he had Derek Holland number two on his list. He did. He did. Well, I like, I like Justin Smoke a little bit than Derek Holland. So when I voted for the t- – when I did my personal top 50 list – I had, you know, in the handbook, and it's right there for everybody to see, I had Justin Smoke ahead of Derek Holland. And, you know, likewise, I think Max Ramirez went from 10th on the top 10 to the 7th highest rated Rangers prospect on the top 100 and snuck in there on the end. You know, I like Taylor Keegarn a little bit more than Martin Perez. You know, but Aaron, who spent a lot of time talking to the Rangers, flipped him. And, you know, I I can see where some people say, well, wait a minute, that's not consistent. But again, I, I just don't think we need to get totally trapped in because if you if you lock yourself into that order, which you know again, while it's Baseball America's list, a lot of times it does reflect you know the opinions of the writer more than you know. It's not like we have a staff meeting on every spot on the top thirty. Right. I think if you lock yourself in the list, then you can really jumble up the top one hundred. You know, if if Derek Holland had to be our number two Ranger, well then you know do we drop Justin Smoke ten spots or do we move Derek? You know, you start having to make a bunch of artificial adjustments. That don't reflect the way we see them. You know, I suppose, you know, it's possible we could try to put the top 100 list together before we did the almanac and then make it reflect that. But then I think a lot of times we get more information in the almanac than we had. I mean, in the, in the prospect handbook than we had beginning the process. Correct. And so our top 100 would suffer, and we wouldn't necessarily make the most educated decision at that time. I think that's correct, and uh, you know, there there are a lot of examples like that where sometimes. Uh, I think the I think what we end up doing in the top 100 is, to some extent, you're gonna have to trust who put that uh, who put that list together, and at some point, the person who put that list together kind of has to say, well, you know, 
they are taking my word for it, but they have a different opinion and just kind of move on from it. Like you said, you can't really get too hung up over that kind of thing. But uh, and I don't. I, and I think I was going to say I, I think a lot of people get get. I mean, we see it whenever we do. I always joke. I mean, no matter who, how glowing our scouting reports are, or where we rank a guy, when, you know, I'm, I'm sure there were Rangers fans, even though we said they had the best farm system and loved their prospects, that we, you know, guys thought our order was messed up, or we left some guy out we should have, or, or whatever. I mean, the, there is no right or wrong answer in, in this stuff. You know, just like we were saying. I mean, I, I do think <laughs> if you're talking about the best prospects in baseball, and you can have your choice of any two guys. I do think the right answer is Weeders and Price, and I don't really see how you can pick anybody else in there right now. Correct. But, you know, as we were talking at the top of this podcast, if you say, okay, outside those two guys, who's the best prospect in baseball? You get, you know, if you, the six of us who contribute to the top 100 have five different answers, and I bet if we got 10 or 12 people in baseball to answer that question, you get, you know, eight or 10 different answers. I mean, there is no right answer right now as to who the number three prospect is, let alone to who the number 20 prospect is or. You know, that's, I think, what makes this stuff fun. I mean, you can go, you can come up with a lot of good reasons to have Justin Smoke ahead of Derek Holland or right. Derek Holland ahead of Justin Smoke. I mean, you could honestly, I think really you could go into our top 30 or 40, and if somebody wanted to try to make the argument to me that Carlos Santana, who we have at number 26, it should be in the top five, I'd listen. It's a switch hitting catcher with ridiculous hitting ability. I mean, I'd, I'd listen to that argument, you know? Or if someone wanted to try to convince me on Jesus Montero, who's 38. I'd listen, you know. It's so, like you said, that's what that is what makes it fun. And ultimately, I do have people remember this is supposed to be, you know, fun. We are baseball fans. We enjoy baseball, and we like talking about the future of baseball. That's why we like prospects. Um, and then, like Brett Lowry is another great example of a guy where I think he was in your personal top fifty. And I, you know, I thought I was the uh, American uh, founder of the Brett Lowry fan club. I mean, uh, I love talking about Brett Lowry, and I don't even know if I had him. I think I had him in the back of my top one hundred. And I, I thought I was going to be the high guy on that guy. He winds up at 81. Um, you know, you, you have, I think everyone has personal uh, prospects they really like more than some other guys. And maybe in some cases it's that you have more information. In some cases it's that you like that profile. Like a Brad Holt is another great example of a guy of a profile that I really like. I think people are probably tired of hearing me talk about fastballs or writing in my column about fastballs. But, you know, Brad Holt throws the heck out of the fastball. He dominates off the fastball. He hasn't done it at a higher level than short season, uh, so I understand why there's some skepticism. But for me, I don't see how he's that different of a prospect than Mike Pelfrey was four years ago and uh, three years ago. And In fact, I think he might be better than Mike Pelfrey. He just has less hype. Um, he's certainly cheaper, so he's, I think he's a better value. But I don't think other people see him that way. That's why he's 94, not maybe uh, higher up on our top 100. And I think he's a guy, and Martin Perez another guy, like he said, where well, I I think I rank Martin Perez a lot higher than we ended up having him at 86, but he is a 17-year-old uh, left-hander. He's not overly physical, and he's uh, not played full-season ball, so there's uh, considerable reason to be uh, conservative with him at this time. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's what makes this stuff uh, fun is it you just get differing opinions, you know, even within our staff as to where guys, you know, should rank. Uh, I do think it's pretty know, neat. I, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to ask? I was gonna say I think it's pretty neat that we have some ridiculous hard throwers at the back of our list. I mean, you know about guys who are ninety-eight and one hundred, and Daniel Bard and Jeremy Jeffress. I mean, those are two of the best arms in baseball. Just raw arms. I mean, you know, Bard's 90, ninety-seven to ninety-nine would sink, and uh, when he's at his best, and Jeremy Jeffress, we've got lots of hundred-mile-an-hour 
uh, you know, radar gun readings on that guy, and those guards have 98 and 100, and we're talking, you know, I'm just looking at the back of our list. I mean, the, the power arms from 91 to 100 are kind of impressive. Chris Perez, Andrew Brackman, Philippe Beaumont, Brad Holt, Sean West, Daniel Bard, and Jeremy Jeffress. That's some real power arms. I didn't even mention Christian Friedrich, who's at 95. is not really a power arm, but a, a really solid three- or four-pitch left-hander who was a first-round pick last year. So uh, we're sitting here talking about how the, the minor leagues are a little bit down, and yet I actually like the depth. I do think from, like, the 25 or 30 spot to 100, there's going to be there's, there's a wide variation. I, mean, I had Daniel Bard in my top 50. I think he's a special arm and a potential really impact reliever, and that his uh, downside is that he's going to have a 10-year career as a – Alan Embry or, uh, you know, Kyle Farnsworth type of middle reliever, uh, which to me merits getting ranked in the top 100. So uh, I, th- I think we I think it tells you there's, there's some depth, just not the not the elite uh, slam dunk guys in the minor leagues like maybe you had in the wake of the, the 05 draft or the 06 draft in terms of those college pitchers uh, who all came out of that 06 draft. Th- those two drafts have already graduated so many people in the major leagues. I think we were in a little bit of a valley compared to the peak of those two years uh, the draft provided. I think you're right. I, I do like this year's top 100 uh, better than last year's. I do think there, there's better names throughout it. Uh, and, you know, I, I don't even think there's that much of a downturn in terms of elite prospects compared to last year. I, I just don't think there's a consensus on what order you put them in. But, again, I mean, if we have Rick Purcell at number 21 on our list or Chris Tillman at 22, Smoke at 23, Hosmer at 24, Ryan Mattis at 25, those are all those are five pretty good prospects who aren't even yeah. in the top 20. Yeah, you're so right. I think there's a pretty good amount of talent. It's just some new faces. It hasn't worked its way up very far yet. You know, last year's draft was an exceptional draft in terms of position player talent. I think it's going to prop up you know the, the talent on the top 100 over the next couple of years. But you know, right now we just don't have much of a consensus. Uh, you know, you know, like you, like you point out, I mean, the first base. You know, you come up with four or five different answers as to who the first, best first baseman is. Um, and there's just not a whole lot of consensus in some of the positions, but there are a lot of talented players. Well, it's the Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. He is Jim Callis. You can also follow us at BaseballAmerica.com, not necessarily the podcast, but all of our written content by going to Baseball America's new Twitter page. That's Twitter.com backslash Baseball America. You can check out all of our updates there. So we're Twittering now at Baseball America. We're just uh, stretching our brand over the, the entire Internet, as uh, our former president would say, Jim. Uh, last thing we should talk about is this uh, feature that you did in conjunction with the Top 100 which was our the great debate choosing between Price and Weeders is not easy, and Jim, uh, we really set this up kind of like as a court case, uh, Price v. Weeders, I guess uh, is what it would be if it were a court case, and uh, really kind of the, set up the case for David Price as the number one prospect and the case for Matt Weeders, and it's online. We can go ahead and spoil it for who uh, as to who won, but uh, why don't you talk a little bit about that process and how the person who won won. Yeah, what we did is we just, because uh, you know, we had that debate internally too, and, and you know, we've done features like this in the past, and I always think it's great when you just kind of, I guess, keep it simple and just go to people, some of the best player development minds in the game, or not player, play, I guess player personnel minds more in the game, and then say, okay, you know, you're starting a team from scratch, you know, it's not based on your current team's needs, and you can have either guy, money's not an object, who would you pick? Um and, you know, obviously there's a lot going for both guys. I mean, we're talking about a, a superstar catcher and a superstar left-hander, both of whom I think will be very good players as rookies this year and among the best players in baseball probably, you know, by 2010, 2011. And, you know, when I did this story, going in, John, I honestly thought that, that you know, I wasn't necessarily sure who would win. I could see either guy winning. I really thought it would be 
you know, seven to five, eight to four, maybe pretty close vote. Yeah. <laughs> and it wound up being a ten to two, and that was with the last guy voting for uh, David Price. It would have been ten to one, Matt Weeders, uh, or it was ten to one until the last vote. And and to be honest, I was kind of surprised. I, re- I really would have thought Price would won would have won if I had to guess. Um, you know, I picked Price. And I think I was the only person of the six people Baseball America who picked Price when we were doing the top 100. But aside from that, I, I just thought what would be the difference <laughs> was how spectacular he was in the postseason last year. I just thought that would be fresh in people's minds. Right. And he's already shown you what you can do on on the biggest stage. And then I thought that might be kind of a tiebreaker. And and actually, what wound up happening uh, that, that that didn't really get David Price. I mean, everybody respected that. Everybody loved David Price. It was a case where I mean, every one of these guys said, oh, "I'd be happy to take either one." But with Weeders. I think he's made it, you know, Price was clearly considered the better prospect in 2007 by most teams. Uh, but since then, I think I think there was some doubt, not that people thought Weirs would have to move, but there was some doubt as to exactly how good of a catcher he was going to be. You know, is he really going to be able to stay there? There were a couple guys, and it was interesting, who did pick Weeders, but he said, you know, when they saw him play Georgia Tech, they didn't think he played with a lot of energy and got after the catching as hard as he could have. You know, part of that could have been he was a two-way player who did some pitching. But but that bothered them a little bit. But but now everybody who who picked Weeders, you know, the, those doubts, you know, he's erased those doubts with his, you know, one year in the in the minors, and so people don't really roll that out. And as hard as it is to find pitching, the consensus among most of the guys we talked to was it's even harder to find, you know, a catcher who's going to bat, you know, in the middle of your lineup and right. be a solid to good defender. It was a bonus. He's a switch hitter. Uh, you know his size. You know which you know you might have been a concern a little bit. You know because he's very big for a catcher. Well, you know he moves well. You know he's not the best athlete in the world, but he's not a slug either. And guys think he'll be able to handle it. And you know it came down to it. You know the one thing that was interesting was you know, just asking people who does Matt Weeders remind you of, and there wasn't really a good comp. You know Joe Mauer's a big catcher. But Joe Maurer, you know, doesn't have you know Weeder's power, and he's not a switch hitter. You know, Sandy Alomar was a big catcher. And, you know, he had a good career, but I think the expectations of Matt Weeders could be a much better offensive player. You know, where Sandy was more kind of solid, Weeders is going to be devastating. And you know, I guess the best comp I heard from everybody was, well, you know, maybe he's Carlton Fisk, you know, with with switch hitting thrown into the mix. Right. Uh, no, it's, it's hard. To, it's, it's hard. I struggled to come up with a good comp for him. Because and the thing is, yeah, he's not he's not like a Joe Mauer. He's not that pure of a hitter like Joe Mauer is. And I'm not. And he's not that kind of athlete. I mean, outside of their size, it's not the best comp. I mean, they, they both have different strengths. You know, outside of being big, it's just tough. Yeah, it, no, it's I, tough to come up with. I think Maurer's uh, athleticism is the, is the separator there, and it's not that uh, not that Weeders is a donkey, but he's just not as athletic as Joe Maurer is. And uh, and the crazy thing to me is reading through the the uh, you know, the deliberations and the feature, the way it's set up, kind of like a court case, is uh, you know people uh, most of the guys who saw them as amateurs had price ahead. And I really think that was the consensus. And I remember sitting in this very podcast nook, well, not this very one, but a, 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 one at the old office, with Alan Matthews and talking about how maybe Andrew Brackman might have the highest ceiling of anybody in that 07 draft, uh, which is, I think, actually, it's still possible because Andrew Brackman has a ridiculous... I mean, if he puts it all together, he's going to have 280 pitches. I mean, he's going to have an 80 curveball and an 80 fastball. And yet, uh, you know, he's like number 92 in our top 100, and he hasn't really thrown a pro pitch. Um, so he's a little bit different league from these guys, but really it does seem now the consensus just a year and a half out is that Weeders has the highest ceiling out of that draft. And I, I, I think it does tell you a little bit 
Um, you know, going into that year, Weeders and Price were kind of, it really kind of was a Teixeira versus prior 2001 debate. You know, uh, both those guys entered 2001 as the consensus top guys, but it was probably Teixeira was ahead and Pryor was behind. Then Teixeira got a little banged up. Pryor had the uh, year for the ages, and Pryor ends up being the top college prospect in that draft and goes second to share a fifth. Um, and in this, it was kind of reversed, obviously. Uh, I think Price uh, and Weeders were kind of almost neck and neck coming into the year, but Price certainly pulled ahead during the year. And even though he's pitched in the major leagues and been pretty impressive on a, as big a stage as it gets, it is amazing to me that Matt Weeders just was such a slam-dunk choice for most of these guys. And, the, and that one or two said, well, if this is a right-handed pitcher, we're not even having this discussion. And yet I wonder, Jim, if how many of these guys would take Matt Weeders over Steven Strasburg. Uh, yeah, it would be. You know, the thing is, a right-handed David Price. I, I'd still take a right-handed David Price. It'd still be a yeah. pretty good player. I, I think you could still have him in the discussion with Weeders. And you know, the, the thing was interesting too. When I went back and looked, you know, Weeders had a you know a good all a good junior season, but it yeah. wasn't spectacular like Price is. And I think that's what kind of separated him too. I think Weeders hit about three fifty with with twelve or thirteen home runs. It wasn't an unbelievable year. Yeah, I think it was um, ten. Whereas Price was pretty spectacular until the. You know, he came in relief in the regionals, and, and Vanderbilt got upset by Michigan. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's like I think I even quoted a guy at the end of the at the you know end of the article too, where one of the guys said he thought he he would bet the twenty eight or twenty nine of the thirty teams had Price number one on their boards in two thousand seven, and I don't think that's I don't think it's quite the case because two of the ten two of the twelve guys I talked to said their teams actually had had Weeders ahead of Price that year. Not that they were in a position to draft him, but. Uh, you know, it was very clearly Price. You know, in June 2007, and as good as David Price is and has been right now, it, it's very clearly Matt Weeders. And again, I just think that speaks to how hard it is to how hard it is to find catchers. Yeah, there's that, and that, and that said, there are 11 catchers, I believe, in our top 100. And I think that uh, tomorrow, uh, to tease this podcast and tease the website as we wrap up the podcast, we'll unveil our prospect rankings by position, and we actually go 25 deep at catcher. And I think catcher is the top pro- position right now in the minor league. So, uh, and just to throw this out there, Matt Weeders actually his junior year you could argue was his worst year. Jim, uh, he he hit three fifty eight with a five ninety two slugging percentage and only ten home runs, a career low fifty nine RBIs, whatever that's worth. Uh, you know, he struck out his strikeout rate jumped over from when it was his sophomore year, and he contributed less on the mound. He pitched, you know, eighty uh, well seventy three innings his first two seasons. And only 14 innings as a junior with a 7.55 ERA. So his junior year, uh, I think the reason that people thought it was a little bit of a downer is that because it was. He was better as a freshman than as a sophomore. And, uh, you know, he slugged 5.94 for his college career with metal bats. He slugged 600 last year in the minor leagues between uh, two leagues that are tough for hitters, the Carolina League and the Eastern League. So obviously doing it with Wood. So just um, I think the Matt Weeder's year last year, uh, really, uh, it was a great year. Obviously, he's minor league player of the year. I think it, as good as people thought he could be, I think it took people a little bit by surprise. And you can understand the numbers really give you a little bit of an indication as to why people had David Price ahead of him coming out of college. So, uh, great uh, great podcast, Jim. Always love doing the Skype chat with you. Remember to follow us at twitter.com backslash baseballamerica. Or if you want to go old school like Jim and I do, baseballamerica.com. And we'll be back tomorrow with another podcast as we break down the prospects by their position in the minor league. So for Jim Callis, I'm John Manuel. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. We sure did. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.